Well, now, Fry's English Delight, and a warning that this late-night special takes us into the area of language taboo. Stephen Fry examines the history and culture of a word that many of us try not to say too often, if at all. Prepare for strong language, not right from the start, but once it gets going, the F word features very prominently. So, using the colloquial language of text speak, Stephen asks, WTF? What the f- What indeed? More importantly, when? When historically to start with this educational half-hour about a powerful, useful, interesting and, yes, sexual word? 1965, when it was first used on television by Kenneth Tynan? 1963, when, according to Philip Larkin, sexual intercourse began? 1960, and the obscenity trial of Lady Chatterley's lover when it was bandied about in court? For a teenage Dennis Norden, a key witness to the word's public history, as you'll hear later, it starts in about 1938. When I was 16 in the sixth form at City of London School, we had this terrific English master, Mr Williams, and one afternoon he talked to us about swearing and said that the favoured swear word was what he called an intensifier, and he illustrated it with a story at the time i was not sideways but he said that when universal suffrage came to this country everywhere there were posters that read one man one vote and there were two navvies digging a hole in the road and one of them indicated the person said what does that mean and the other one said well it means one man one vote Oh? He said, well, well, what's that supposed to signify? He said, well, it signifies one man, one vote. And the other one says, oh, no, I'm sorry, I don't understand. He said, one fucking man, one fucking vote. And the other guy said, oh. And I must say, on hearing... Mr. Williams, who I revered, using this word personally, I was much more turned upside down by Mr. Williams than I was by Ken Tynan. We'll come back to Dennis and Ken Tynan later, but Mr. Williams' lesson is one from which we can all benefit. Fuck, even then, was the ubiquitous go-to intensifier, and still is. Nowadays, though, well used, we would argue it can be a nuanced, interesting, valuable, funny, liberating, significant and diverse word, worthy of our serious attention. In the next half hour, you'll hear Fuck's history, Fuck's etymology, you'll hear when to say it and when not to say it, and we can discuss whether the power of its taboo is on the wane. You'll hear Wayne Etter, or rather the actress who played her, writer and director Kathy Burke. Friends will quote me as using the fuck word when I haven't. And you'll meet one of the men behind... Feck! Feck always seemed to us a very innocent word. A very kind of dad word. Mm. That was Graham Linehan, co-creator of Father Ted. You'll hear fuck eulogised, euphemised, criticised and mnemonified, like Tasfu era. 
which is things are so fucked up, it's really amazing. And we have a distinguished lawyer and judge who will advise on the legalities of using the word. When it's used aggressively, it could be part of a yeah. phrase grounding a conviction. But a context is all. But where to start? With the help of experts, we've amassed evidence going back to the 13th century, when a windfucker meant something quite unexpected. Etymologist Professor Geoffrey Hughes has dug up a reference to a person called Rick Windfuck de Woodhouse, <laughs> 1287, in documents related to Sherwood Forest. The roots of the word are confused and disputed. They've now become an etymological conundrum. Professor Hughes is author of Swearing, A Social History of Foul Language, Oaths and Profanity in English. So what is its likely origin, do we think? Nowadays, the emphasis is almost entirely on the Scandinavian links with Dutch, Fokken, Norwegian, Fokar to, to copulate, uh, Swedish regional, Fokar to copulate, and so on. And what we see is also a, a relationship to German Ficken, which means to strike. In Old Icelandic, we find the verb Fukia means to drive. And this uh, brings us around to the point about the windfucker. It doesn't mean that the windfucker indulges in aerial copulation. What it means is that the windfucker, which is another name for the windhover or the kestrel, beats the air with its wings as it hovers. The windfucker. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that great? That is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> That's a brilliant description of all birds. Yeah, <laughs> it is. So we've got this curious mixture, but it's not simply all sexual. Indeed, the windfucker factor shows us that from the very beginning, fuck has enjoyed a diversity of meaning. It's quite striking that fuck could mean, well, striking. By the way, Professor Hughes's dating of the earliest written fuck shows it to be Middle English in origin, not Anglo-Saxon as is widely held. In fact, now the very term Anglo-Saxon can be a euphemism for fuck. You'll notice, too, that we have called our programme WTF, text and Twitter code for astonishment, as in, what the fuck? And it is in code that fuck makes its first recorded sexual appearance. It refers to the extramural activities of some Carmelite friars, 1500s, in Ely. And the comment which is made, this is the translated form, they, the friars, are not in heaven because they fuck the wives of Ely. But when you actually look at the passage, you see its code. The word fuck, put in Latin, F-U-C-C-A-N-T, actually appears in the manuscript as G-X-D-B-O-V. You take each letter and you substitute for it the one before, so G becomes F and so on. And it tells you something about uh, the fact that this is a protest. A satirical comment. I think it's very significant that this first example appears in, in a satirical form. I mean, this Jesse Scheidlauer, editor-at-large of the Oxford English Dictionary. Uh, and we see a similar thing in the 16th century examples. We have many examples, particularly from Scottish sources, making fun of political enemies or uh, casting aspersions on the abbot of a monastery. You don't have it appearing in any kind of early pornographic works. You have it appearing in satirical form. Later, pornography is useful, though, because it can sometimes tell us a lot about the word which is rarely written down elsewhere. Here's an excerpt from a 1680 top-shelf work Jesse found, a rather explicit dialogue between a lady and her niece, the one you know, where the older woman educates the younger in sexual matters. 
There are other words which sound better and are often used before company instead of swiving and fucking, which are too gross and downright bawdy, and only to be used among dissolute persons. To avoid scandal, men modestly say, I kissed her, made much of her, received a favour from her. Swive was similar in many ways to fuck. Chaucer loved it. And the most famous examples of the miller in the Canterbury Tales, who tells a tale which is quite literally about fucking and farting about. Swive certainly became less fashionable. Uh, I think the last reference being a sort of pseudo-medical Victorian one, which says, uh, don't sleep on a full stomach nor swive. But does swive not survive simply because it sounds somehow weaker? The swive does not have the same phonetic energy as fuck. Uh, that, that is possible. Phonetic energy. Well put, Professor Hughes. One would like to think that the slow burn f, the grunty ah, and the glottal are jointly responsible for fuck's success, eclipsing the less plosive swive. And the reason it is difficult to prove these points is that the taboo nature of fuck has meant it's resisted study because it couldn't be written down, which is why we've always had to make stuff up about its origins. Geoffrey Hughes merely had to mention his work at a dinner party for some interestingly misguided guidance. When previously I said, oh, I'm writing a book about how words change in meaning, they'd say, oh, how interesting, and then change the subject. When I said, I'm writing a book on swearing, they invariably said, how fascinating, do you know the origin of the word fuck? And then they proceeded to tell me. (laughs) There were two versions of this. They were both acronyms. One was fornicate under the command of the king which is uh, obviously a rather absurd explanation because it's not an activity which requires any royal command. The other one, by the way, is uh, supposedly a police acronym for unlawful carnal knowledge. What tends to happen is that people start to make up their own etymologies, and these are called folk etymologies. Folk etymology is an important impulse based on a notion that the word should have an origin in the same way that... People should have parents and they should have a family and all the rest of it. You're listening to BBC Radio 4 with me, Stephen Fry, talking about the word, well, you know. And if you've turned on partway through and you don't like the sound of this, fair enough, feel free to tune elsewhere. Now, we've already heard from Jesse Scheidlauer, lexicographer and OED editor-at-large, and he's written an instructive, if not exhaustive, book about the subject, the F-word, admired by Professor Hughes. This extraordinary compendium of fuck in all its multitudinous protean forms. And in the front cover, it says F asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. Well, why? It's a kind of the pseudo taboo. Everybody knows what the word is. Why not use it? Why did he call it the F word? I hope you can ask him why he called it that. On a practical basis, we couldn't have called the book fuck. There are too many problems with using that as the actual title. You know, no one would know how to catalogue it. People wouldn't be able to refer to it in certain publications. It wouldn't be listed okay. The F word is the title, and there's no problem either with people understanding what it's about or you know, being an interesting title for the book. This book seemingly has every iteration. Um, fiddlefuck, fuckathon, clusterfuck, bugfuck. 
What the book shows is the sheer diversity to which fuck lends itself. Um, Fuckware party? That's interesting. It means, ah, yes, delete plastic picnic wear, insert sex toys. Well, I do think that the great success of the word fuck has to do with its extreme versatility. It is used in compound words, it's used in phrases, it's used in all sorts of derived forms. You can use it as a noun, either literally, like that was a great fuck, or in many other senses, like you fuck. You can use it as a verb, the original, to fuck. You can use it as an adjective. The bare form is an adjective, like a fuck book, but the usual form you know, fucking is an intensive. You can use it adverbially. Uh, you can use it as an infix that is in between an existing word. So abso-fucking-lutely is the classic example. Tamesis. Tamesis, yes. Uh, relatively rare in English and pretty much only in, in this kind of thing where some offensive word is inserted in another word for emphasis. And, of course, we also include the other F-word, popularised by the TV programme Father Ted. It's a bit much for me, Father. Feck this and feck that. <laughs> yes, Mrs Doyle. You big bastard. Oh, dreadful language. You big hairy arse. You big fecker. Fierce stuff. And, of course, the F-word, Father. Bad F-word. Worse than feck. You know the one I mean? Yes, I do, Mrs Doyle. F you. If you're F and Y. Oh, I don't know why they have to use language like that. I stick this F and pitchfork up your bolo. That was another one. Oh, yes. Pauline McLean, a.k.a. Mrs. Doyle, outraged at some literary language she's come across there. And we have the co-creator of Father Ted here, Graham Linehan. If your if your father was in the room and, and uh, he hit his thumb with a hammer, he'd say feck. But if he was on his own, he'd, he'd say fuck. You know, oh, I see. that's essentially it. And also for us, it was a good uh, way of defining Ted's character because one thing we agreed on early on is that Ted would would very rarely curse. He wouldn't. Yeah. He'd, we thought a curse might actually. We broke that rule once uh, for for a laugh. Kathy Burke, you may have a London voice, but you're Irish inside. Well, Irish. I was born yeah. in London, but yeah, yeah. But dad, uh, dad, dad was from Galway. And, uh, yeah, and he would use feck all the time. And it was wonderful, actually, when Father Ted started. And uh, when, I think, Ted's called Dougal a fecking Egypt. And the joy (laughs) exploded (laughs) in my heart. And I remember ringing up two mates that also had Irish parents, just going, my God, did you hear it? Did you hear it? This, what we grew up with being called literally every other day of our lives. Feckers. Fecker and a fecking Egypt, more specifically, you know. Yeah, Yeah, that's fascinating. And did you, did you think of it as a different word from fuck? Or did you just think it was the Irish for fuck? As it I was? just thought it was the Irish for yeah. fuck, yeah. Do we know? Is I it, thought it, it was different, very different. Right. Does it have a different origin? Do you know? Yes, it, apparently um, there's a great story. I, I phoned my dad on the way here uh, <laughs> because he, I thought he might have something to say about it. And he said uh, there, there were some uh, kids who, the Vincent de Paul, some poor kids from Dublin, that brought them out to do confession en masse, you know, a huge bunch of them. And uh, one little girl was waiting outside and then the door opened and one of her friends stuck her head out and said, uh, uh, what's another word for feck? And uh, the girl said, steal. 
And he goes, oh, okay, okay. I stole, I stole some cigarettes, Father. You know, so she was obviously there for a few minutes going, I fecked some cigarettes. <laughs> With the priest going, what? <laughs> so, so, you know, it, I, yeah, I think that's the, the origin. It means to, to steal. steal. Mm. Interesting. But naturally became a perfect uh, substitute for fuck on television for mm. you, for your purposes. You had your cake and you yeah. fucking ate it. <laughs> but I, it's interesting that that, 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 that is how it's seen. And, and I don't... We never really thought of it like that. It's yeah. not as aggressive, is it's it? It's not somehow? as aggressive. It's it, and it, it, can that just be a vowel, an e, or an a? <laughs> it's extraordinary, isn't it? The difference yeah. of the uh, the e and the a. So, Graham, as a writer, you sometimes wince at a gratuitously scripted fuck. My my complaint about it is when it's kind of crowbarred in yeah. in a setting where it doesn't really belong. That you're right. Me. I think the. I often used to feel when people wrote into the radio or to the television to complain about the use of the word fuck on some particular program, uh, that one should equalise by writing to complain about the lack of it on EastEnders, for example. <laughs> yes. Yes. There is no home in East London in which such a violent altercation would take place or such a betrayal without somebody swearing. Yep. And it is completely unrealistic. Why go to the bother of having dresses with saucers on them and uh, kettles that boil and t- mm. water that runs when people are speaking a completely false language in yes, front of us? Yes. But of course one doesn't because you know that that's just somehow we are fucked up yeah. as people. <laughs> <laughs> fucked up beyond all recognition. Jesse Lower again, and if you've been in the services, you may recognise the acronym for fucked up beyond all recognition, FUBAR. We tend to blame television for the rise and rise of fuck, but I would blame another modern trend, world war. Put lots of men together in stressful circumstances and they're going to swear. Jesse Scheidlauer. The famous acronyms are all of World War II era. You know, SNAFU was the main one, situation normal, all fucked up. And the one beginning foo is foobar, fucked up beyond all recognition. Now, at the time, there were many, many acronyms of this sort, some going on for quite a number of letters. Now, snafu and foobar are pretty much the only ones we see. And tarfu, things are really fucked up. But there were many others, some of them stretching on for quite some time. Um, Most of these may have been used as a joke by the compiler of the glossary or by the one person who said it once. You know, people weren't going around saying Tasfu era all that often, I think. It does seem, though, that we've strayed away from fuck's core meaning. In fact, in an odd sort of way, the use of the word in primarily sexual situations does now seem, I don't know, wrong. I mean, you don't ever literally say that was a lovely fuck. <laughs> Can one? I I don't tend to I don't tend to use it in that no, sense. Like, exactly. no, I, and also, I don't buy it when I see it in plays or I like when I see men together going, "Did you fuck her?" I just mm. think I have never had that conversation. Mm. I've never had it like that. Why? No. You know. But then maybe I don't know. Maybe yeah, you I'm just, just hanging you... around with what? wusses. But you no. know, it's it's like it feels it feels fake to me when people talk like that. I don't. I don't buy it. I don't know why. And they like to give it, as as the woman to say, to show that a woman can fuck a man. Yes. Mm. Because they want to show that it isn't just the penetrative act of the male that that is the fuck. The mm. fuck is the, is the whole package, if you like. Right. Mm. Mm. <laughs> is that right? You're looking at me. <laughs> yeah, no, He's <laughs> learning so much about the world. I, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't... I, yeah, I don't tend to... I don't, I don't know whether maybe it, uh, in the right circumstance it would work as a... As a I don't know... Um, 
erotic thing to say, but I think usually yeah. it tends to shut things down. Yeah. Yes. It's, always, it's shag, isn't it? That's what people... It's I, it's a much softer yeah. Yeah. word, you know. If you go to Liverpool, they're very free in Liverpool with offering a shag if you want it, you know. I mean, literally, if you come out the station, all right, can you need a shag? No, no, no I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine, darling. Whereas I think if they said, you know, Fancy do you want a fuck? fuck? Yes. I think I'd be highly offended. Like, how dare you? Makes you think you could ask me such a question. I don't even know you. But just being asked casually if I fancy a shag later yeah. by a completely stranger. My wife's from Liverpool and I have never heard it. That's <laughs> interesting. <laughs> That's very interesting. <laughs> What we've sort of found is that there's a taboo about about using the word fuck for fucking. Um, it's a slight taboo. Uh, that it's m- m- much less likely to be heard in the context of sexual intercourse than Maybe it is as it an is, intensifier. Because it is ag- aggressive. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's that disassociation with it now, you know, because it's... Um, fuck is... It's, it, it is quite an aggressive word when you say it. To use it to do with sex, it, it does seem it does seem kind of like um, rudely dismissive of sex. The the word fuck. It, it, yes. it. Do you know what I mean? And maybe that's particularly English as well. Nevertheless, fuck can't be separated from sex, and arguably that's whence it still derives its power. When it was first famously uttered on a television chat show in 1965, it was used strategically by the critic Kenneth Tynan as a noisy but effective bit of ordnance aimed at exploding theatre censorship. Asked if he could ever imagine sexual intercourse being represented on stage, he said, I doubt if there are any rational people to whom the word fuck would be particularly diabolical, revolting or totally forbidden. I think that anything which can be printed or said can also be seen. The tape's fucking missing, but we do have Dennis Norton, who was there. The enormity of it, it's very, very hard to describe... Exactly. I mean, when I came out after the programme, it was as though the the foundations of the of television centre shook. And uh, it didn't come easily for Kenneth Tynan afterwards, but because when the programme finished and we walked out towards BBC Hospitality, he looked very strained and sort of white at the nostrils. And we, we were sort of ch- chatting, and this... One of the commissioners, one of the, the disabled commissioners that the BBC had um, a whole core of at the time, came hobbling up to Ken with a, a, a sheaf of papers in his hand, handed them to Ken and said, these telephone calls came for you after the programme, Mr Tynan, and handed it to him, and they were messages of congratulations. Ken showed them to me. And they were messages of congratulations and support pledged by, uh, I can remember the name, George Melly, Peter Cook, and Jonathan Miller. Uh, Ken held them out in front of me and he said, now I know I'm in trouble. So the word, first used satirically 500 years previously, gets pressed into service as a kind of emblem of free speech. Between 1960 and 71, it was dragged through the courts, put on TV, deliberately used subversively in a poem that was studied in schools. Yet there still is the question of legality hanging over the word. I'm joined now by Geoffrey Robertson, QC. Geoffrey... 
What would have happened to Fuck if the Chatterley trial had judged the book guilty under the obscene publication? It Act? would have taken longer to delegalize it, I think. Mm. Uh, the Chatterley trial really was the turning point for Fuck mm. because the man of the match who really explained Fuck and what Lawrence was trying to do with it was Richard Hoggart. And he said to the jury, and this was a key moment, he said... Outside the court, I passed this morning a man who said was speaking to himself, and he was saying, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, as I went past. If you've worked on a building site, as I have, very <laughs> clever point to make to a lower middle class jury, you'll find they use it over and over again. But the man this morning was using it as a form of contempt. What Lawrence wanted to do was to re-establish a proper use of it. And uh, he went on to say, we have no word in English for this act, which is not either a long abstraction or an evasive euphemism. Lawrence wanted us to say, this is what one does. In a simple, ordinary way, one fucks with no sniggering or dirt. That was the evidence that turned the jury. And Mervyn Griffith-Jones, who was prosecuting, uh, could merely say, well, we heard from Mr. Hoggart from Leicester University. Oh, <laughs> that, was, that was the best he could do to uh, undermine uh, and Professor Hoggart's evidence. The and judge had said, is this a book you would want to leave around for your wives and servants to read? That's right. Uh, that was the prosecution case. And uh, <laughs> so Lady Chatterley yeah. was acquitted. And I think the great final moment, if you like, for fuck was in, came in 1992 when it was Lady Chatterley's Lover was read as a book at bedtime on the BBC. And so, with the fuck still in. Yes. There is a Public Order Act as well as an Obscenity Act. Actually using it in the street, there was a time when that, that might have, if a policeman was so minded, be mm. an excuse to pick you up for swearing. I think street. today uh, most modern magistrates would not allow a conviction in a case which was entirely based on the use of the word fuck in dialogue with the policeman. But, of course, fuck often comes in with a great deal of uh, other abuse, yeah. uh, particularly racist abuse. Yeah. So that is when it's used aggressively, when it's used yeah. in the way that Lawrence himself deplored, uh, I think it will, it could be part of a yeah. phrase grounding a conviction. But Absolutely. context is all. Yet there was and still is the question of taboo. It won't go away for a very long time indeed, uh, because its usefulness depends on there being something of a taboo about it. Uh, and this is true of many words whose taboo status changes over time. Yes, bloody is not that bad a word right now, but it's still somewhat bad. I mean, you wouldn't imagine a politician in a formal speech using a word like bloody. If he or she did, it would be kind of shocking or it would be for some sort of extreme rhetorical effect. So, you know, I think that fuck will continue to be under a taboo, you know, of changing value, but still taboo, yes. Kathy Burke, um, if a charity asks you to do without the word fuck for, for a week, would you find that a strain? Oh, now that's interesting. <laughs> I think I probably would, to be perfectly honest. I think I would. You know, now if I get recognised in the street or stuff, somebody will shout out, Oi, Kath, they love it. Nothing more pleases them than if I shout back, 
fuck off. <laughs> and they just, I mean, the head goes back and I mean, they, they love it. <laughs> Fry's English Delight was presented by Stephen Fry and produced by Nick Baker. And if you want to hear more of the conversation between Stephen and Jeffrey Robertson, go to the Radio 4 website.